Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench this Mother's Day, getting towards the end of this long Paddy's weekend and plenty of action to bring you up to date with. I think Man United are about to get a penalty here in the FA Cup. It's currently 1-0 to Fulham in that game. Uh, elsewhere, loads of other FA Cup and Premier League activities cross channel. Here at home, a lot of Allianz League action. We'll ha- we also have Ireland under 20s looking to make it two Grand Slams in two days. We'll keep an eye on that. Makes results for Cork in football and hurling and Camogie. Moss Finn will talk to us about yesterday's Grand Slam and we have part three of Hear Me Roar with Valerie Mulcahy talking to Breach Corkery. Two legends for the price of one there and far more Ireland medals than I can keep count of. That's all between here and seven. It's Aidan Lee here with you until 7 o'clock on the big red bench here on Cork's Red FM and Man United have been awarded a penalty here and it's a straight red card for Willian which is correct he just, he stopped the ball with his hand on the goal line it was, it was Sancho with the shot Mitrovic here is after losing the plot with referee Chris Kavanagh who is, he should be booked for it because he actually bumped into the referee it's starting to heat over a good but now Harry Maguire uh, standing in the middle there for some reason uh, he's been he's been quite poor uh, to be quite honest with you and it just tends to happen when he's playing for United that they don't really play that well either but um, look we'll keep an eye on that one penalty should be taken there now in the next uh, couple of uh, seconds elsewhere um, looking back on on the day of sport for Cork and and look uh, very frustrating and I know uh, John Cleary will definitely be very frustrated by the results today uh, in Louth um, down to down to 14 men after fullback Daniel O'Mahony saw red on the stroke of halftime against Lowe they fell to defeat 110 to 10 points the final score there uh, Mitrovic has just been sent off now has he or no that's the replay sorry I, th- I thought he was going to send him off there um, I think he has sent him off actually I think Mitrovic is about to go um, have we two cards here now yeah Mitrovic is gone by the looks of it so Fulham now down to 9 yeah so it's red card for Willian, red card for Mitrovic. All of a sudden, if United equalise here, they've got 15 minutes against nine men to try and book a spot against Brighton in the semi-final of the FA Cup. But back to that in a little bit. Um, as we said, unfortunate uh, loss for the Cork footballers, obviously. And uh, look, the red card obviously was was a huge moment in that game. Elsewhere for the hurlers, uh, they shared the spoils with Clare and Ennis. 218 apiece, it finished in the end. It means that they face Kilkenny for the second year in a row in the Allianz Hurling League semi-finals Kilkenny beat Waterford 18 points to 16 at Nolan Park and we're going to hear from Kilkenny boss Derek Ling who was thrilled with the result Yeah look a good win it was a battle we had to grind it out and we did that um, probably both teams would be you know probably disappointed with some of the you know the bad handling but in fairness the conditions were really tough and uh, so to get on the right side of it very happy yeah, so that's going to be an interesting one and uh, and a big test. Probably the look. I know they've played Limerick in 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 Parky Cueve, but it will be maybe the first big big test of uh, of this Cork team under Pat Ryan. It's going to be a very interesting semi final. Obviously, last year, Jesus, when you think back to last year in that semi final against Kilkenny, it was such a good win. You thought this was it now for the Cork Curlers, you know, and then obviously it just never performed in the final against Waterford in the end, but let's see what happens this year. Bruno Fernandes is standing over this penalty for Manchester United. 
up against uh, it's more than one goals isn't it for for Fulham these days Fernandez can he make it one all back of the net into the Stratford end it's a one all at Old Trafford with 75 minutes gone Fulham down to nine men I'm sure we'll get a a goal flash on that uh, in the coming minutes um Elsewhere, let's uh, look. I suppose we, we'll we'll touch back maybe to base on the uh, on the Gaelic games a little bit later on in the show. Uh, elsewhere, uh, plenty of action cross channel. Let's hear first of all about Arsenal's win, which puts them eight points clear at the top of the Premier League. They defeated Crystal Palace four one. Here's Guy Swindles. Arsenal 4, Crystal Palace 1. Another superb performance from the Gunners. Two up at half-time. Wonderful finishes from both Martinelli and Saka gave them control of this one. That was increased in the second half when Saka bundled the ball home. Palace did have a moment when they thought they might get in it. Jeffrey Schlupp from a corner managed to get one back. But up at the other end, Arsenal on fire again. Saw uh, Saka set up by Tierney and he made it for you had to feel a bit for Wilfred Zaha he was outstanding but his team lost 4-1 Arsenal 4 Crystal Palace 1 England have just had a try disallowed at Musgrave Park by the TMO in the Six Nations Under-20 Championship clash. It is Ireland 12, England 7 of course Richie Murphy's charges chasing back-to-back Grand Slams back-to-back days of course uh, at a sold-out Musgrave Park 24 hours after and look at this Marcel Sabitzer puts United in front that's his first goal isn't it uh, for Manchester United and it's 2-1 all of a sudden at Old Trafford and if Fulham aren't careful there it could be an awful hammering um, but yeah we're going to keep an eye on that Ireland-England game at Mosgrave Park um, as it goes along uh, it's, it's early in the first half there at the or the second half should I say at the moment, all right, uh, let's go back to matters cross channel. And it was a massive win for Brighton, absolutely ruthlessly killing the dreams of uh, League Two Grimsby. It was Brighton five, Grimsby nil. Evan Ferguson with a brace, which is massive news for Stephen Kenny with uh, the international break coming up. And he's named in the Ireland squad for huge games against uh, France. And of course, it is Latvia then, isn't it, in a friendly, but. Uh, could be a big one for Evan Ferguson, and he got two today. Brighton five, Grimsby nil. No fairy tale finish for the visitors. As a game, it wasn't really much of a spectacle because the home side totally dominated. As early as the sixth minute, they took the lead through Dennis Undav when he turned in a shot that was parried by the keeper. They added to that six minutes into the second half, and there was no turning back then for Brighton. Ferguson got a brace. Solly March, the man of the moment, added another one, and. Uh, Time added on, Mitoma, the Japanese star, managed to put the ball into the back of the net. It's finished, Brighton 5, Grimsby 0. Yeah, and after a VAR check, that's a bit sir. Goal is going to stand, I think, by the looks of it, with 78 minutes gone. Yeah, I think it has passed the VR check. Yeah, they play on, so 2-1 at Old Trafford. Uh, yeah, big news there, for though. Uh, big brace for, for Evan Ferguson. Now, the game of the day was Sheffield United versus Blackburn Rovers. Blackburn Rovers, they'll be sick. Oh, they sh- they really they should have a, a place booked in Wembley, but Sheffield United came back to win a three-two with an absolute screamer of a goal as well towards the end. Uh, it was uh, uh, Doyle, wasn't it? Who got it? I think great strike from outside the box. Here's Joe Rawson. 
A humdinger of an FA Cup tie that left Sheffield United boss Paul Heckingbottom praising the incredible resilience of his side. They came from behind twice to book their place at Wembley in dramatic fashion. Ben Brereton Diaz's penalty gave Rovers the lead, but an unlucky own goal from San Gallagher levelled. Sammy Schmodix put the visitors in front once again, but Ollie McBurney equalised. And then in the 91st minute, a cracker of a strike from Manchester City loanee Tommy Doyle won it for the Blades. Blackburn will be ruining missed opportunities. They hit the post and force Wes Fodderingham into fantastic saves. But it's the White Rose that gets one over the Red Rose. Sheffield United through to the FA Cup semi-finals. Sheffield United three, Blackburn Rovers two. Yes, yeah, a really interesting makeup of uh, of a last four for for the FA Cup uh, semi-finals, isn't it? Um, Man City, Sheffield United is one side and it's looking like it's going to be United and, and Brighton in the other. It's nice to see the likes of Sheffield United and, and Brighton who Brighton were having a very good season under Roberto De Zerbi that like, it took nothing out of them, um, Graham Potter going to Chelsea. So uh, Roberto De Zerbi has done a fantastic job and a uh, big experience like we said for, for uh, the likes of Evan Ferguson and uh, you know uh, a lot of Irish guys over there. Um, so it's uh, good to see there was also camogie action very early on this morning in Nolan Park. But I don't know why it wasn't a proper double header because it really should have been. Uh, but there was quite a good bit of time. The camogie was half eleven, and the uh, the Kilkenny game was two forty five, if I'm not mistaken. Just make it a double header. Um, but the Cork seniors, big win for them in that game in Division One. They have the very camogie league. They defeated Kilkenny twenty three points to one ten. Um, all right, still twelve seven in the under twenties Grand Slam decider. Well, a chance for Ireland to pick up another Grand Slam in that at Musgrave Park. We're going to keep with Grand Slam chat. Uh, I, I've said it quite a lot of times already, and we're going to say those two words quite a lot in this next chat as well. Obviously, yesterday, massive, massive day for our sport. Uh, Ireland picking up the their fourth ever Grand Slam, the third in fourteen years. Uh, it's uh, fairly remarkable when you think about it. It was 61 years, and we, we discussed that with, with Mosfin here now. You know, 61 years to get another one, and all of a sudden we've three now in 14 years, and not to be scoffed at. And of course, as well, two more championships interspersed uh, with that, you know, and those young players have a lot of success now, and particularly, you know, you look at the likes of the Leinster guys, and you're hoping that the Munster guys can start winning at, at provincial level as well. and win silverware for Munster and try and compete with like the Munster representation is very disappointing isn't it um, but of course one man who's um, right at the heart of that team is Peter O'Mahony and we're going to talk to Moss Finn about him and of course about what was another glorious day for Irish rugby Grand Slam sealed in Dublin for the first ever time against England here's Moss Finn Alright delighted to say I'm joined on the line now by Moss Finn to reflect on another Grand Slam for Ireland Moss I suppose weekends don't get much better than the one we've just had a, a trophy laden Paddy's weekend Ireland's fourth ever Grand Slam Wonderful I mean deeply satisfying for anyone who was ever involved in rugby in their lifetime um, I personally thought I'd never see it you know to, to such a wonderful extent in that we would win so handsomely against such opposition and do it over five matches, which is extraordinary. It is, you know, and to the fact that we've never done it before in Lansdowne or uh, even reinforced that, plus the fact that it was the old enemy, enemy England who, who came to Lansdowne Road and it was their execution 
uh, is what gave us the trophy. Like So all, all in all, a, a wonderful scenario. Loads of little different things to make it even better when you look at the likes of Andy Farrell and his son being captain of England. I mean, there was loads of small little cameos of various things that enhanced it as well, you know, even though it was nerve-wracking. But a wonderful occasion and a wonderful result and a great day for Irish rugby. Absolutely. Like you just touched on it there. It took 61 years to land the Grand Slam number two. 14 years later, it's up to four. You know, it's incredible what has happened. Uh, like the, the landscape is just, it's so different now to what it was two decades ago. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, even the the comments during the week there from a lot of the English press and the English pundits was that the, the Irish model for the professional game has, has, has been the best, you know, and that is obviously the, the, the actual results bear testament to that. And since professionalism came in 95, Ireland have evolved a model which suits the fact that we've only four provinces and we couldn't be independent. We, we couldn't have an independent sort of uh, league ourselves. So we go, we had to go to Europe and start Europe and Tommy Kiernan and, you know, people like Gareth Fitzgerald were very, very important in organizing that liaison. And it's that, the whole European inv- adventure has been wonderful for Irish rugby, and the, the in that in that the provinces are playing at it at a high level every very every week, so that when they go up to the international level, it isn't such a giant step like it used to be from club to international in my time. So, like our, our Irish, they are if you can take a pat on the back, certainly, and the, the model is perfect. Now it hasn't worked out very well for the clubs, but it's certainly worked out very well for the international team. Yeah, and even you touch on there the people involved, and like we've lost a, a few very important people in, involved in Irish rugby as well over the past um, past couple of weeks, even. And you know they were all a factor in in this and building towards a day like that, winning that Grand Slam in Dublin for the first time. Absolutely, I mean Brian O'Brien, the, the Limerick man from Shannon, was the guy who pioneered Shannon into becoming one of the most powerful teams in Munster Rugby in my time and I remember playing against them and what was reminiscent of it yesterday was actually when the English team were trying to slow the game down as was evident the referee alluded to it Shannon were notorious for doing that at, at, which was a high level of rugby that time was all of the internationals played for their clubs that time but Shannon were notorious for slowing the game down and kind of upsetting teams that I used to play for like UCC and Cork who would have had silky backs and the sort of speed of motion and all that it yeah. didn't come into play because Shannon just slowed it down just like England but Brian O'Brien was a pioneer and even there yesterday I saw they paid tribute to Caleb Powell who was the the, the, the coach to the first ever Irish schools team which I, I had the privilege of playing on with two other presbyters Jimmy Bone and, and Brian Clifford so they were poignant moments but great to remember people who put so much in, in, into Irish rugby and, and of course you couldn't you, you couldn't but to mention Tom Kieran who was was seminal in the transfer transferring from from amateur to professionalism and it was, it was very important for holding the whole European idea in when maybe England and French teams at club level in particular weren't inclined to embrace you know but he was wonderful in that regard so I'm quite sure these guys are having having a bit of a party in the land beyond celebrating our victory and a victory for rugby and a victory for Irish rugby and the way the RFU have behaved themselves and kept the sort of central contracting um, to to themselves and and matching matching the wages of foreign opposition so that players will stay at home and we can manage them and rest them when we want to. 
Absolutely fantastic words there. You mentioned the changeover from amateur to professional and, and how that was all handled. Like Ireland 20 years ago still had a very decent rugby team. It's just that they couldn't seem to achieve this level of, of what has been achieved in the in the past, let's say, six or seven years, uh, just, to, just to take it like that. But, you know, you think of the excellent players like Brian Driscoll and yeah, they had their day in 09. Obviously, it still feels like that group almost underachieved a bit. So why is it that this group who obviously are very talented also why is it that they have managed to go on and be the team to 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 achieve this success and to be so consistent for the past almost decade well i i i would suggest that it's probably experiencing we've had some you know absolute disasters at world cups and we've been beaten by argentina twice and um i say it was the the experience of the of the european competition and, and learning from it and where we failed and, and where we prospered. I mean, um, Munster in 2006, 2008 developed a wonderful setup and they achieved the Holy Grail in 2006 and eight by winning the Heineken Cup. Leinster then le- learned from that. Um, Ulster and Connacht have learned from that so that now we have four strong provinces where perhaps before we just had Munster, a little bit of Leinster and Connacht and Ulster were poor. So now I think the professionalism has gone across all the provinces as part of the learning curve, and we're learning all the time. And and also, we had sort of the the rugby union had the the rugby acumen and perception to bring in top class coaches, a la Joe Smith. They weren't afraid to to go outside our own and uh, and and get coaches. And I think the likes of Smith had brought in a protocol there that. Farrell then built on and then Farrell has brought it to a new level and when you look at it and you see that the likes of the there, if you were prepared to pay the amount of money to these great individuals to come but particularly Smith then um, and he's now going to become the All Blacks coach it just shows you the quality of person we had running Irish rugby it must also be said that the the recruitment idea there which is run now by David Nusifora and bringing players in, getting them naturalised after three years, that has helped. And if you look at the Irish backline yesterday, there was only three of them homegrown. So the fact that we're inclined to bring them in from abroad and naturalise them, which is something New Zealand have been doing for years from the South Sea Islands, that has also helped, um, by and large, a very professional, clinical approach. Absolutely, and you, you touched on there uh, World Cup and World Cup failures and I suppose there's no point uh, tiptoeing around the fact that the World Cup is coming down the line in the summer and Ireland have fallen from many highs at World Cups and like they've never been higher than this. Surely now, although it's, it's so unlucky that it's France or New Zealand most likely in the quarterfinals, reaching that last four though, that's that's almost an expectation though, would you say for this group? It is, and you know, I, I I think that this group are a little bit different to other groups who have gone to World Cups with a reasonable. Well, we're obviously way more favourites than we were for other World Cups, but we were kind of fancied in some of their World Cups and performed very poorly. And a lot of that had to do with stewardship. I think we went to the World Cups cups at the end of coaches' tenures, like Kidney was coming to the end of it, Eddie Sullivan came to the end of it, and they're. Their leadership qualities became, I'd, I'd say, um, they were weakened by the fact that they were there too long, whereas uh, Smith was there too long. I made some terrible choices, like against Japan particularly there. He played Carty and 
Jack Carty from Connacht out yeah. half. It was a mistake and he never bought Devin Toner to the World Cup who would have guaranteed to sign up all but I, I think this is at these at a good time for Andy Farrell. He's still developing as a coach. The players haven't got used to the sound of his voice just quite yet and I don't think we'll fall into that into that abyss with his stewardship. He seems to be a far more sensible, grounded man than any coaches we've had before. Absolutely. Then to finish on, uh, I suppose, a massively positive point, um, let's talk about two players. Johnny Sexton, obviously, a perfect day, breaking the record, picking up that trophy as captain of Ireland. And also a word for Peter O'Mahony, who at this stage is up there as one of the greatest ever athletes, uh, rugby players, of course, but athletes that Cork has ever produced. And he was absolutely excellent yesterday as well. Two absolute stalwarts and two huge parts of of that team. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of fellas who watch rugby matches, they wonder what does what, what does Peter Romani do? Like, I mean, what he does is is down and dirty. Like, he gets his, he he he's he's at the coal face of all the physical challenges. He's the he's the groundhog. He's the guy playing on the deck. He's what you call the fellow who's the pain in the arse for the opposition. Was he's slowing down their ball? He's niggling. He's in their face, and he's an integral part of that team. And then he also takes a lot of pressure off the. Lineout men, if they're under pressure from their from the big men against them, he moves up and down the lineout and wins the ball. So he is, uh, he's an, a wonderful talent. He has an incredible engine, and he his physicality is incredible, and he does things that a lot of fellas don't do. And he's what you call a master of the dark arts in rugby, which is the hard bit. Now, even though yesterday, strangely enough, we we weren't as good on the deck as normal because normally our our rooking is ruthless and we get the ball quick. Whereas he is the guy who guarantees that and it's not apparent to the naked eye, but he's also the guy who slows down the opposition ball. So he's a wonderful talent. Sexton is the one guy that I think is possibly irreplaceable in this Irish team. And he's he's given service to Irish rugby over a long course of time. And um, without having to go back to the negative, there was the, when he went to France there, Leinster should never have left him go. And it was all to do with the fact that the IRFU wouldn't offer him enough money. And that was... That was a big mistake, even though. But he recovered from that, had a, had a one or two average years, and came back a better player. And I think now he's irreplaceable. And I think it was Bernard Jackman wrote it on the Independent this morning. He said that Sexton is the, has has been the greatest Irish rugby player ever. And I I would concur with that because of everything, including his leadership, his ability to tackle, his ability to distribute, his kicking ability, and his ability to make breaks. And the one thing I'd be fearful about going forward is that we don't quite have a good substitute for him if he does get injured in the World Cup. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's a different. That's the only place I'm a little bit worried, you know. But they are two great guys, and Sexton certainly is irreplaceable. That's the problem at the moment with him. Absolutely. Well, there's plenty to to chew on and to think about in the in the months leading up to that World Cup. October is seems very far away at the moment, but I'm sure it's not going to be long coming around, and plenty of provincial action as well to keep us occupied uh, before that all happens. But Moss, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you throughout this Six Nations campaign about uh, an absolutely fantastic uh, Grand Slam uh, clean sweep for Ireland. Uh, thanks a million for joining us on the Bigger Bench. You're very welcome, Eden. Yeah, absolutely excellent stuff there with Moss Finn. I've really enjoyed chatting to him uh, after the games uh, and about uh, about the progress Ireland made through that campaign. Uh, fairly flawless stuff, wasn't it? And 
the under-20s are a step closer to completing another Grand Slam as George Haddon has gone over for a try at Musgrave Park in the 50th minute. It was unconverted. It is 17-7, but um, it looks like they're in a very comfortable position at the moment. And uh, yeah, what, what a... What a way to, to round out a weekend of Grand Slams. Uh, we're just watching here. Sergio Perez is about to win the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, who started P15, has managed to get himself back to second, so it's going to be Red Bull 1-2. Huge in the constructors for them. Uh, Alonso is going to get another podium. He's currently running third. And then it's Russell from Hamilton, from Sainz and Leclerc. So that tells you a bit about the mercedes versus uh, Ferrari battle that's going on. Uh, entering the closing stages of the Manchester United versus Fulham FA Cup quarter final. It's Man United 2, Fulham 1. Marco Silva was also sent off. So three red cards for Fulham after that penalty was awarded against Willian for the handball on the line. Willian saw red. Mitrovic hit the referee and saw red. Well, he, he gave him a, a hefty old nudge anyway and, and saw red for that. And Marco Silva went absolutely spare on the sideline and picked up a red card as well. Alright, we're going to take a quick break now, but come back because we're ha- we have part three of Hear Me Roar with Valerie Mulcahy talking to her old teammate as Bruno Fernandes makes it 3-1 for United. Valerie Mulcahy talking to her old teammate Breach Corkery. Don't go away. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, very welcome back to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. Aidan Lee, you're with you until 7 o'clock. We're about to hear part three of Breach Corkery and Hear Me Roar with Valerie Mulcahy. Ireland have gone over for another try in the under-20s at Musgrave Park against England. It's Ireland 24, England 7. <clears throat> Brian Gleeson going over and it was converted by Sam Prendergast. So two Grand Slams in two days looks very, very much like it's about to happen. Uh, just before the break, I said that Bruno Fernandes made it 3-1 to Manchester United. It has ended now 3-1. Let's hear about that goal uh, from Peter Smith. United 3, Fulham 1. United through to an FA Cup semi-final against Brighton. The goal coming six minutes into stoppage time, scored by Bruno Fernandes. His second of the game as gaps opened up with Fulham playing with only nine men. It's United 3, Fulham 1. All right, let's hear now that uh, part three chat. It's Valerie McCahey's Hear Me Roar, and she's talking to her old teammate, Breach Corkery. What makes sports women tick? What motivates us? What inspires us? Who is the person behind the athlete? My name is Valerie McCahey. I'm a 10-time All-Ireland winner with Cork and a six-time All-Star. Now I'm turning host and talking to some of Cork's greatest sports stars, are those who have a strong connection with Cork. In this series, I'm speaking to six inspiring athletes to find out their answers to these questions. This is Hear Me Roar with Valerie Mulcahy. I got the eye of the tiger, a fighter, dancing through the fire, cause I am a champion, you're gonna
Today we hear the final part of my conversation with 18-time All-Ireland winner and my former Cork teammate, Breach Corkery. Today we talk about her inter-county retirement and her plans to one day head down the management road. But first we talk about 2010. The year Breach took a year out from the Cork panel and we went out at the All-Ireland Championship quarter-final stage to Tyrone. So to give context, we had won our first All-Ireland in 2005. We'd won five in a row. And then 2010 came and in hindsight we all reflected and realised that we had just let things drop a tiny bit, a few percent off the pitch. Even at halftime in that match, in the quarterfinal against Tyrone, we were still double scores on them. Yeah. And things didn't go our way, but we also, on reflection, realised, do you know what, we've left our standards down a bit and we weren't training like we were. You know, when you're number one, you have to train like you're number two in order to stay number one that was yeah. kind of my attitude and yeah that was devastating losing to Tyrone but you actually missed out on all that so what was your impression over in Australia hearing that we were knocked out in the quarterfinal well I just remember thinking like he had won the league handy he had won the Munster final handy and I remember going oh they're just going to walk it again this year that was my thing and I remember it was uh, Norma Kelly rang me she was in uh, I was in New Zealand she told me I was like what? No she's like yeah they got bit I was like ah never and like it was such a shock yeah like it was a real shock but then you know I I rang I rang Rena from from and I rang Breed as well and the, just like you know, they were saying things that had happened throughout the year that, you know, and then I was like, right, okay. Like, yeah, there was cracks there, like, yeah. you know. And I think that comes to... When the pressure comes on, that comes to the, f- four, to the yeah. four. Yeah. And also, uh, when you lose, you, you actually reflect a lot more on, on the losses. And I think, looking back for me anyway, that loss actually was probably the catalyst to drive on more and allowed us to win another five in a row or for you because I'd retired in 2015 after that was having name and bowed out yeah. and 2016 you continued that like so you'd won six in a row after that 2010 loss so I think we lo- we we understood what football meant to us for me anyway I felt that that time allowed us to go we actually really want this we're hurting. Eamon, as you mentioned, was hurting. And I think that drove us on for another fight because had we won that, with that maybe complacency or had it won it and here's just another All-Ireland and it might have felt easy for us. Yeah. So because we lost, we had to reflect on everything and then we also really used it to go, we need to push on now. And that hurt really stayed with us. Like I, I wasn't even there that year, and like I could feel the hurt by everyone. Yeah, you know, everyone's really hurt. like I just think, but it's it's like any day when you, let's say you won and you didn't perform, you'd be like you like you'd critique yourself, going right, okay, what did I do wrong? Even though you won, like yeah. you know, but you'd like, but and then if you lose and didn't perform, that's just the worst feeling in the world. Like yeah. if you lose and you've done everything you possibly could or you're like, right, okay, you know, we've stuff like, there's no more we could have done. Yeah. Whereas when you lose and you don't perform, it's it's a, 
it's a very hard feeling, do you know. And I know every time you lose, you feel like you can do more. But did, did you ever think when you're in Australia, oh, should I have gone to Australia? Or were you happy and content with your decision? Um, the hardest time was in San Fran at the All-Star trip. I, do you remember I met you in San Fran? I actually didn't make that oh, one. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Out of all the places, I would have loved to have gone to San Fran. I managed sorry. To oh, my God. Um, yeah. How I dare remember, you bring that up? I, yeah. That was the year you didn't get the All-Star so well, was it? <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. I, sure, look, come here. Um, so, yeah, I remember meeting in, in San Fran that time and... Um, they obviously got on the plane the day before I left to go back to Australia and I got really upset. I missed everyone. Like and Eamon was like, When you coming home? And I was like, Well I'm I'm not. I'm I'm staying away for the year and he's like, You're not going to be back at all And I was like, No, I, I was like, Sure this is we're into March, April now. I was like, No, should the year start to no, I'm I'm staying where I am and I'm very glad that I did. Um because it was something that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. You know, it was it was in my head always and ever that I was going to go away. Um, and I suppose there was very little work around in, you know, like I was I was actually labouring for a builder at that stage, Frankie Flannery. Um, so I was like, look, this is my time to go. Yeah. Uh, just take the year out, go in, enjoy yourself. And uh, and I always said, I said to myself, i going for the year and that's it. Yeah. Um, I remember we were over in, uh, Melbourne and they were trying to sign me up to, to Sinn Féin and I was like no I'm not and then we moved to Perth and they were trying Sinn to Sinn Féin being the club now the club like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I better not sing any Fondix. songs um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so I was like um, I was refusing to join football clubs because I knew the minute I'd start playing over there I'd have loved it yeah. and I'd have loved the camaraderie and the crack and I'd have never come home okay. and I always said to myself just the year and you're back if if Cork Football and Camogie would have me of course I'd be back you know but you yeah. know there was there was times there like I never presumed I'd be back on the panel I yeah. always felt that I'd have to be asked like you know I never I, I like I suppose I went to travelling to San Fran for three months as well in 2008 and I remember I didn't go back and um Eamon Ryan had heard that I was home and he was like why aren't you back training and I was like well I suppose I wasn't asked like you know yeah. I don't presume yeah. that I'm there because I was there last year so he was like training Wednesday night I'll see you there yeah. I was like I can't believe you yeah. waited that or that you didn't tell him and that you were staying away from the year until the All-Star trip Did had you mentioned anything to him beforehand? Yeah I had I had told him I was gone for the year I told him I was, wasn't was committing for the year but I'd say he was kind of like yeah, she'll be back yeah, or hoping. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, your absence was felt. Um, but do you know what, Val? It was just, again, as you said, it, like I could have gone off the wall too. Like I could have dropped my standards too the same year. You know, it was yeah. just it was just that year where people needed that break. Yeah. Do you know? And we'd done um, five in a row, which was phenomenal as it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just, it was just pure coincidence that I was gone. Like, you know. I wouldn't say it was pure coincidence, but. I think anyway, look, we look back and I yeah. say that was actually a break between the five in a row and the six in a row. And, and it actually was the catalyst to drive on and to keep going and sustain ourselves at the top for those years. Because as I said, had we won in 2010, it probably might have felt a bit easy or that, 
you know, we can win this without putting in 100%. Yeah. And then should the joy be gone and the, the real satisfaction of winning would have diminished, I think. So yeah, it, sure, like, things do, do happen for a reason and it's nice to look back and go, do you know what? That was that was a, a positive thing, losing. That was a, a turning point for, yeah. yeah. Because do you remember we were down eight points against Dublin that year as well? Yeah. And we came back and won. The following year we were down nine points and came back and beat them. And then the following year, we, we were down 10 points and came back and met him. Like, you know, yeah. I think it was, we it was huge that character. It was huge character. But I think that that hurt, like, I remember being hurt for you. Yeah. And even when I came home in 2011, I was like, I don't want that hurt. Yeah. You know, and I suppose we had experienced it in the Camogie, like, you know, a couple, like, we'll say, uh, Reen and myself, Angela, we'd experienced that loss, like, um, and I, I, like, I suppose we hadn't experienced any loss like that in, in the football dressing room. So it was a real, like I know we lost maybe a Munster final or maybe a league final here and there, but like not not the big day, not the big occasions. Yeah. Like, you I know, remember so. everyone bawling after that quarterfinal. Yeah. And I was like, well, I kind of knew this day, day was going to come. Yeah. And we had been on a, like, what was it, 36 match winning streak? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Something crazy. Yeah. But if you had... Right, going to your head, right? You're playing the two codes and you're in both All-Irelands, but for some reason your body or you're told you can only play one All-Ireland. Which are you going to choose? Um, I'd probably chosen football. How come? Uh, I think I was just more of a natural footballer. Uh, I'd have to be like... in like It's kind of funny, like... Eamon, if Eamon gave out to me in football or any of the girls gave out to me or whatever, that would make me more crasser and would drive me on. Whereas when it came to Camogie, I needed to be encouraged. Because like, is that down to confidence? Confidence, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I knew I wasn't the best of hurlers. Like, I wasn't yeah. very skillful. I wasn't skillful at all. Um, well, come on, Aubrey. You, you managed to get on that team. But, you know, but again, I come back, it was work rate. Like, yeah, it was okay. my work rate and... I suppose definitely in my latter years where I was in full forward, I definitely knew I wasn't good enough to be in there. You know, like okay. I felt I wasn't good well, enough to totally be in there. That was a position for you as well. Yeah, though, and it? I remember. She, and you never came to me asking for a bit of advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very hard job, isn't it, up there? In well, the forward, like, depending on everyone else kicking in the ball yeah, when they're too busy. Well, no, kicking it, it over more, kicking, Yeah, taking all the light, your limelight. I know. Um, no, it was it was like I was the one of the times Paddy Murray came over to me and I was like, I like Paddy, I was like, what am I doing here? And he was like, You were in there to create space for the other two corner forwards. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I'll just keep running then. So did you pay heed to that or did you actually go, No, I'm actually did you reverse no, like, psychology and go, No, I'm here to I'm here to score. No, but like like my thing then was like, right, okay, I'm here to create space. Like that—that's your job. Yeah, like you knew your role. This, yeah, that was my and that role, was and clear to you. yeah, obviously trying my best to you know try and control the ball. Um, but my role was to, I suppose, create space and get out yeah. of the way, and um, you know, look. I suppose I was happy to have that job, but I suppose in in hindsight, you know, I like sometimes I'd be like, I wonder what I've enjoyed Camogie more in my latter years if I wasn't confined to that role well, you know okay. you know I kind of felt like I was doing nothing only r- running out of the way you know creating okay. space and that, that was I'd say just again a confidence thing I needed in Camogie I needed people to 
say good job or yeah, yeah, being great. Yeah. That was a great move. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, geez, you, I didn't mind when people gave out to me or it's not like yeah. I'd be giving out like, but, you know, whereas I didn't really need that in football because I was just much more of a confident footballer. Yeah. Like, you know, so, yeah. Interesting, I, isn't it, from a person who's won yeah. 18 All-Irelands and how many Camogie? Uh, six, yeah, seven. Six. Well, yeah, seven. Yeah, well, why are you hesitating there? I don't know. I always kind of count the last one as like, I don't know. I suppose I didn't get to play and I, you know, I kind of felt like I came back halfway through the year and, you know, I kind of felt like it wasn't, I kind of call it the half one, like, you know. <laughs> so in the Camogie, that was your final match, wasn't it? With uh, Well, I suppose that was 2018. I, I didn't get to play at all. I, I, I came on against Tipperary in the semi-final and I was running and I dropped my hurley. I was like, oh God, blessed with me. <laughs> You, yeah, you like, didn't get to play in the final and I didn't get to play in the final and I remember like they were kept telling me like they were like you warm up no bridge and I was like no okay and uh, I was so that was that 2018 yeah. I thought you were going to come on yeah like I suppose you know I suppose that's one thing I, I would often think like you know you know it would be nice to come on but anyway look yeah. I didn't and look but you, we won do you not see that you still contributed like in the training sessions and all that or is it like for you it just had to be on the pitch on all Ireland final day well, I suppose I was kind of told that I would be coming on and I was kind of nearly prepared to come on. And I suppose I had worked r- ridiculously hard. I had had uh, Tyg, um at the in- nearly the start of May, okay. um, end of April, start of May. Um, I wasn't able to train. I didn't get back training for eight, nine weeks. I probably should have waited a bit more because I was after a section. But I started training twice a day. Like I'd like I do a hit session in the morning. Uh, I might I go tr- training every night I might come home from training and I hadn't done any like you know uh, gym work and stuff like that so I might do it at like half ten quarter eleven at night and I might be up all night so I'd work like a devil to get back so that's why it was kind of I suppose very disappointing not to get more of a time or you know I uh, and just because of who I was I, like I didn't think I deserved it but I suppose I had worked really hard and I had been told that I would be getting 20 minutes so I was kind of prepared for that as well yeah. um, if I was told I'd be getting nothing uh, and I suppose I kept I remember just asking him like you know what can I do now to you know what can I do to contribute contribute like or whatever and um, they were like oh you're flying you're flying you're getting there your hurling's coming back I was like great Grant perfect so that was I suppose the most disappointing part Was that um, probably the most disappointing part of your whole career would you say? Um, yeah I suppose it was re- like, well What else comes to mind? It, it nearly was in the fact that like I'd worked so hard I suppose you know the years I was dropped we'll say 2006 like that was my own fault because you know I was I wasn't the camp be- I wasn't yeah I wasn't behaving myself either like you know yeah. and I hadn't shed my Christmas weight in June like for God's sake <laughs> <laughs> like for people listening how much eating and socialising do you do at Christmas to say you have Christmas oh, weight in June I love like I do I love the winter time I love the time off and I just love and then I just love the slog like okay, I, I just love the slog like I, I just love the idea of like just trying to lose the weight again and like I'm still the same like oh my god I'd rather be yeah. ticking over all the time I couldn't face that because I never felt that I was one of those natural runners or that I was naturally fit so I 
could not bear to be even further back, I felt. Yeah. So that's why I felt I had to just keep ticking over. Ticking over, like, yeah. yeah. No, I just love just enjoying myself and leaving myself off, yeah. like, you know. So that's kind of really explains why you wouldn't want to have been a professional yeah. <laughs> There's no downtime. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, don't, I don't think I'd have... I don't think I'd have enjoyed the the professional side of things. No. Is that because of the pressure as well of it? Of perform, having to perform for your livelihood? Just even the the constant, you know, I, I hate, I suppose I hate social media now and the constant, you know, looking at people and, what's the word, dissecting them, like, you know, yeah. I I kind of, that part I don't like or... We didn't, we didn't have that. We didn't even get really an opportunity to promote our own game you know or maybe actually we were too shy to, to actually say tune into this match Santiago Car at this time you know when, when many people didn't even know where the matches were when they were on we had an opportunity to maybe give them those details but I certainly felt that it wasn't the thing to be done maybe that was within our group that you can't be asking people to look at yours there was some kind of did you sense that around the squad or was it just me uh, yeah, I I just think everyone kind of kept and everyone kept everything to themselves. Like, yeah. like it was just we were there to play football and we were there to. Yeah, but you're now you're looking back. You're like, I feel anyway. I was like, why didn't I promote it more? Why didn't I? You know, we're asking for more people to be there. We're asking for more attendances. We're asking for more eyes on the game, and we didn't give them the information that they would have found hard to look for because yeah. it wasn't as available to them, the match details and the, the venues and that. But I think, for me, I think that's up to our, our clubs and our county board to be doing that. Like, that isn't the player's job, like, you know. That's what I think. Yeah. And that's why I'm trying to give back. In and that, that Yeah, in my in your own way that you're, you're promoting Leeds football by continuing to give back and... Yeah. You know, I suppose I'm continuing to still play. Uh, I would hope in time to go down the managerial role somehow back up. Just, yeah, like, you know, just I'd love to give back to, in like when I have to, when I have more time to give back to my club, give back to ladies football or Camogie somehow. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to try it and I could be goddamn useless and I'd probably end up just having to be like on the committee or something but that'll do fine I'm still and I, I just think still promoting ladies football like I don't think I we're think in clubs I, in ladies clubs if you play with Cork you're nearly a curse to them you know yeah. whereas if when men play with the county they're heroes like for their club but what do you think that is? I don't know what it is with with ladies sport like as in why they're you know, they were like, oh, she's on the Cork team now, so she'll never make training, you know. Do you think it's because the ladies' football teams and Camogie teams require the Cork players or the top athletes to be at the trainings to raise the standards because, it, you know, that's very much needed. Whereas in the lads' teams, when they're coming back, if they're not back in at their club training, they still have those right underneath at a high level as well who are not going to make a county team able to sustain and keep those standards high. Do you think that there's more reliance on the inter-county footballer, ladies footballer to come back and get the standard high? I, I do think there is and I do think it's very important for girls to see them. Like, I I suppose we were at a club meeting there the other day and I, I kind of find... Um, we don't see our inter-county players from one start of the year to the next and 
I do think they have to be present. Like you wouldn't be saying every week or, you know, I would say like at least maybe once every three weeks to... Show face. Show face, like show face and, you know, just... It's disconnected in there. Yeah, like it's kind of... And and then it just brings this kind of, I don't know, vibe. And I would like to think that the the men show up to their clubs too because I think it's really important. Uh, Do they? I'm not too sure really, to be honest. But, you Shkin know, will find out who they said. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I would be hoping that they'd, you know, that they would continue just because they're playing in the county. It doesn't mean they can't turn up to something. There's surely some night that they can turn up and, and yeah. you know, just be there or whatever. And I always think of it like, you know, we'll say it, Reen and myself, we always went to club training whenever we could yeah. or played club matches whenever we could. Um, but you're real club people as well and you probably appreciate where... It, you came from and how you got to where you were. Yeah, yeah, we are. Like we are, and like I know all. Like I'm well. I know you. You went back to rock bond training. Like yeah. you, you didn't just play with Kirk and that was it. You played with rock bond. Yeah. Um, like all the Dunmore girls, Mon Abbey girls, they all go back with their club, and it's it's just a huge thing to continue on, and it's such a lift to the club as well. And there are things like that we should remember that like you you play with Kirk whatever but you also have a duty to keep promoting your 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 club and ladies football and Kogu you know I've always felt that Breach never took praise well and often responded better to criticism than a compliment I've always felt that Breach never took praise well and often responded better to criticism than a compliment Breach agrees and says that winning All-Stars was often difficult as she felt she didn't deserve them you're easier, if you found it easier to say criticism, I feel, than yeah. a compliment. You'd prefer if someone critiqued you and had a laugh with you rather than actually saying, well done, Breach. Yeah, I, don't I, think that, I don't think that sat with, well with you. No, it, and it, 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 like, and it, that come, like, you know, it's all kind of adding up together. Like, I, I don't, like, I, I find it very hard to deal with what do I say yeah. without sounding like, I don't know, that I'm cocky or something, you know, that kind of way. Or, yeah. So, yeah, I just... I did my bit. I did it as hard as I could. Yeah. Uh, if I got recognition, you know, I suppose, you know, I suppose all stars and stuff like that. I hated the nights that I got one because I, in my own head, I'd be like, I just know everyone's kind of saying, how did she get one now? You know the way? Uh, why? The nights I didn't. voice asking you that, is it? Yeah. But you know the way, when you didn't get one, you'd be like, okay, no one's, no one's critiquing me now for not getting one. This is great. Really? Like, yeah, I found it much easier not to get one. They were way better nights, like. Whereas when I did get them, then I'd be like, I know for a fact there's people around the country going, how did she get it, like, this year? Or, you know, that kind of way. But would would you not ever think, well, what does Breach think? Does Breach think she deserved it? And if you thought that you deserved it, then... Yeah, that but I suppose there was years there that I got them. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have got this. So then you know? was that the cause of you thinking yeah. other people think this as well? Yeah, or then you'd hear like, you know, people, other people, aren't, you, you know, you'd critique the you'd critique the first 15 yourself, like, yeah. you know, you know, you'd be like, Jesus, how how did she get that? Like, yeah. she wasn't great this year. Um, well, it is a bit of a flawed system anyway. And I think in the Cork setup, we didn't pay too much heed to how many All-Stars each other had and all that and Eamon certainly didn't put any emphasis on it because he understood that you're going out the next year you still have to perform you still have to get on the team and I think that was a great way that he managed to navigate that and to 
yeah, to manage us as players. Oh, definitely. Like, he, he all, do you remember every journey he'd come back, he'd be like, last year's gone, forget about it. Except for like, coming back in 2011, he was like, do you remember, he was like, we're not, we're here to perform now. Like, you know, there was a real... Biting it. Like. In 2011, I remember the first train session back, he was even cranky, like, yeah. you know. Because I'd say he was still hurting him from the year before, you yeah. know. So he, I, it was our first train session back in Dunmore and... Uh, Jeez, I was about four stone overweight after Australia. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Well, you'd and then he rang, he, he ran the devil out of us. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, we're in for it this year. And we did hard running that year. And you were always wearing these black bags of to sweat it <laughs> off. And I'd be going, Breach, um, I've actually studied this in in college and uh, I've been asking and you were just basically dehydrating yourself further. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Three jumpers, two t-shirts and a black bag. <laughs> Before we wrapped up, Producer Rory wants to ask a question. I have one last Our, question for the two of you there, actually, right? Oh, no. Uh, last minute of the game, high ball is coming in. Who wins at Valor Bridge? I'll probably fall on the ground. <laughs> Valor would, like, like, push me out of the way nice and quick. I'd be like, gone, yeah. Uh, I'd say, even if I won it, Bridge would win it back off me with her tenacity when I came down. Because I have such a height advantage over her. Stand up there. Who's actually taller? I'd say... I'd say Come on, because look. I'd say we're probably level, are we? Or are we? Taller than me. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn it. I'm a good foot taller. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, on that breach, remember when we were in All Ireland and you got a bad injury at the start of the match? It was like that picture of evolution when someone has started out as like the monkey and f- gradually, gradually like raises their posture oh. and becomes an adult or a person. You had won the ball, you got a, an awful hit and you were trying to make your way up the pitch and slowly but surely you were regaining your posture like to become upright again. Uh, it turned out you broke your ribs in that match. Yeah, yeah. And you played on, this was about how many minutes in? I'd say it was about 15 minutes in, I'd say, yeah. It was, oh, that was so sore. Uh, yeah, jeez. I remember um, I went back to college after that and I literally just put myself down on the on the couch for the week. I was so sore. I was in painkillers for ages after it. Yeah. But, uh, you just got yeah. through the match, adrenaline and that's Yeah, I remember after the match, I actually, do you remember when we were celebrating, it was our, the first year we won, I actually couldn't even celebrate because I was <laughs> you made so a good sore. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I mean straight after the match. Then <laughs> 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 something else kicked in. Um, I remember like all of us in the huddle and everyone was bounced up and down. I was like, I can't anymore. I actually can't. Like, it was so sore. What was, but, yeah. what was the best all-earn after post all Ireland, like those few minutes on the pitch, was it say 2005 when everyone came onto the pitch, you know, when everyone was allowed on the pitch and we nearly got enveloped by the crowd and couldn't find our way through up to go to the stand? Or was it like... Yeah, I, th- I think it definitely was probably 2014. Yeah. Like the shock and the... Like people seeing us and crying. Like I yeah. remember pe- people bawling, crying, meeting their families. Like yeah. I never cried after a game. I'd say the county final with Vels, I cried because in when we he won, he won. Yeah, we we won. Well, because I'm bad, so <laughs> should they leave the club after me? Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> just like I love this Val. Well, oh, yeah, all the time. Um, yeah, that and they are learning in 2014. Like. I, I but remember we went through so many emotions. Yeah, like yeah. we were in the middle of a match. We went from that nerves and expectation to underperforming, feeling like we had lost, we were losing. Back going from the um, favorite to the underdog, 
and the roller coaster then the elation when we actually got over the line yeah. and the exhaustion because it took every bit of us to come back like yeah. so it was absolutely crazy yeah jeez it, it was mental yeah, like, that's why it was my favourite yeah I think and that's yeah. that match just saying here in 2014 I just can't stop smiling <laughs> and you know it's great so yeah. Breach I'm just delighted that you're on the pitch and we got to share so many special days and very proud of you and thanks very much and for likewise Val thank you cheers cheers Val that brings an end to my conversation with Gaelic Games royalty Breach Corkery a huge thank you to Breach for her time the stories and the laughs our final episode of Hear Me Roar will feature former Cork City, Glasgow City and Republic of Ireland striker Claire Shine as she talks about her life both on and off the pitch. Denise is, is the role model for what it takes to, to make it to the top. Yeah. And I went down, I had all the talent and I just went downhill because it was as if I didn't want to work as hard because I thought my talent would maybe pull me through certain situations but that's just not the way sport goes unfortunately Hear Me Roar was presented by me Valor Mackay and produced and edited by Rory O'Hagan for Cork's Red FM Music was by the wonderful Jack O'Rourke Thanks to my friends at mygames.ie who created a beautiful memento for each of my special guests Gorev Magot as Clusa Hurt Domenov agus beg me kind live Gulua Slán Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Get-